Hey, everyone. It's Vanessa, and I'm here to talk to you about Noom. Noom is a personalized weight loss plan. It's not just one size fits all. It takes into account your dietary restrictions, your medical issues, and any other personal needs. It's like a psychology plan. Just it meets you where you are. And it also recognizes that losing weight is really a mental process. It starts with your motivation and with your brain. Noom's approach is also grounded in science. They've published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles that describe their methods and effectiveness. So stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. You can sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes. It's available to buy now wherever books are sold. Campsite Media. So this week, we have a story about someone you may or may not have heard of. She was an internet influencer, the kind who posts pretty pictures of macaroons and selfies in exotic locales. The sort that is a dime a dozen in the Instagram pond. But this influencer went bad. Not super bad, just medium bad. So this is going to be a small story, but it also explores our obsession with influencers, authenticity, and scamming. Plus, what happens when friendship goes awry? This all happened a couple years ago, but it's still so relevant today. It's early 2019. And Instagram influencer Caroline Calloway is launching a series of creativity workshops. The vibe is very boho chic. Think macrame wall hangings from Etsy. Activities involve mason jars, cooked salads, handmade orchid wreaths. It's everything you could dream of in 2019. But the dream turned into a bit of a nightmare. Caroline sold tickets for $165 a pop, but she didn't actually book any venues to host the workshops. It was a mess right from the beginning. Basically, I'd planned the whole thing over Instagram stories. So I'd say over Instagram stories of how things are changing. Changing as in, oops, there won't actually be orchid wreaths. And cooked salads, whatever those are, will be replaced by sad sandwiches. So much for boho chic. Now, being an Instagram influencer, Caroline constantly updated her many followers about these changes in the workshop schedule. And pretty quickly, word got around online that the people who shelled out for this workshop weren't getting what they were promised. There was all these rumors that went around, like I didn't feed people or like, you know, I think they have this image of like people in space blankets, like, you know, like huddling in some apartment in Brooklyn. Total fucking scam. This all happened around the time those Fire Festival documentaries came out. It was billed as a lavish, one-of-a-kind music festival for an elite millennial crowd, with weekend ticket packages running from $1,500 to $12,000. But this morning, the organizers of the failed Fire Festival are feeling the heat. We had no electricity, there was no showers, there was no bathrooms, there was no, like, running water. The expectation? Luxurious accommodations. The reality? More like a disaster relief campsite. 
What Caroline did wasn't on the level of the fire festival, but now she too was being called a scammer, a one-woman fire festival. She was getting compared to Elizabeth Holmes and Anna Delvey. It was already out of control. And I made it worse by apologizing and, you know, refunding everyone. Caroline hadn't yet figured out how to make it through a scandal. And it would take another, much bigger one for her to master it. I, I really think surviving going viral in a bad way is sort of like surviving a riptide. What you mm. shouldn't do is struggle against the current. You'll expend too much energy too quick and you'll drown. What, what you do is swim into the current. You let it carry <laughs> you in the direction it's going. And then once it subsides, you can make your way back to solid ground. But um, So, so just being like, what whatever, I didn't mean to do this. It's all cool, no, you guys. not even I didn't mean to do this. You say, you say, yeah, 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 these are a scam. I'm the biggest scammer there is. I'm going to call my first book scammer. You ride that wave. And like now that that's done and like I've fixed the scammer Google SEO, like with my name, in fact, all the scammer allegations helped propel my book by calling it that. And now I'm ready to call my next book something else. From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Infamous, and I'm Vanessa Rigoriatis. And I'm Natalie Robomad. So, as you all know, this show is all about scandals. Some of the people we've talked about are taken down by their scandals. Others face one big scandal, make it through, but it forever mars their reputation. And then there's another, more rarefied personality. The type who doesn't just weather one scandal after another, but almost seems propelled by them. Caroline Calloway is the last type. Right. So she started as a sort of college influencer. When she was in school at NYU and then Cambridge, she became famous for her whimsical and clever Instagram captions. I mean, we're talking about 2012. You could become famous back then for that. Yes, but who wrote those captions at different points would become the stuff of lore. And that whole ball of wax is going to be the basis for most of our story today. So in order to understand that scandal, you need to understand who another woman is. Her name is Natalie Beach. Caroline met Natalie Beach in a creative writing class at NYU. They developed what sounds like the type of unequal friendship that you really only get in high school and college. Natalie Beach, near this time, was living in a dirty part of Brooklyn with a roommate with a rabbit. And Caroline was living in style in Greenwich Village. Natalie characterizes their friendship this way. One's blonde, one's brunette, one is feminine, one is a tomboy, one is beautiful. One's the the other friend. In this case, Caroline was blonde and beautiful, and Natalie Beach was the other friend. It was like an Alana Ferrante novel come to life. It was this very specific mix of envy and adoration that often only exists between two young women. Yeah, and set against the backdrop of the early influencer economy. Caroline is kind of like my brilliant friend, just on Instagram. I mean, there's even a Sicily set piece. Exactly. Anyway, they were both aspiring writers, and in Natalie's telling of it, they became close. We thought we would get famous together. 
one way or another. And they did get famous together. Caroline became a big deal influencer of a certain type, a literary influencer. And she even sold a book to a publisher. Here's Caroline. I'm so excited about it. It's a collection of what I hope are funny nonfiction essays about my time in England. And they're all autobiographical, all, all true. All the stories may have been true, but they were partially written by her friend, Natalie Beach. So they were indeed ghostwritten. And Natalie is apparently pissed about all this. She then writes a story in the cut called I Was Caroline Calloway. It's a crazy headline saying that Natalie Beach was actually Caroline online and Caroline wasn't. All the secrets from their relationship. And this goes hugely viral. I mean, it was probably the most talked about piece in this particular corner of culture for the year. Yeah, totally. And I, I think there was a lot of schadenfreude that Caroline, the half-scammer, pretty blonde literary author, was apparently a fraud. I mean, when, when Natalie published her article, it turned Caroline from just another pretty Instagram girl into a pretty Instagram villain, which is much more interesting. So given what you know about Caroline Calloway, you would think that she probably laughed this whole thing off and just embraced her role of scammer. And eventually she did, but it took her a long time to get there. She's gonna explain to us how it all went down. She reached out to me and I had a terrible feeling about, I, I thought the story would be bad because, you know, I had been addicted to Adderall when she knew me. I did like an AA program. And as one of the steps, you make amends. And I had reached out to her like okay. um, about a year and a half prior, apologizing for all these things and just saying, you know, I can never change the past. But like, I'd love to try to be a better friend to you mm. in the future. And she had been like, I don't want your friendship, which is <gasps> it, it's a valid thing to say. I mean, I... When you're really, like, apologizing as, like, part of the AA program, like, the apologies for the other person, and it's not about you in that moment. And so, like, I respected that decision, but I knew she didn't like me is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, were a lot of people, did a lot of people say, no, I don't want your apology, or did she, like, stand out? No, she was the only one. <laughs> she, she was literally the only one. I just carried so much guilt about, like, what... Um, a selfish nightmare I was in my early 20s. So you were okay with it because you felt like, okay, maybe I deserve it a little bit. Yes. Something yes, like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I just felt so much guilt. I think everyone feels guilt and shame about how they acted in their early 20s and then right. add on to that like the addiction, guilt and shame. So I was like really feeling bad about myself. And so I didn't really have the self-awareness to clock like all the other people who I reached out to, who I'd like hurt during that time in my life, they responded with messages of like, I'm so glad you got help. I'm so glad you're mm -hmm. better. You were so sick. And she actually sent me this email telling me all the things that I had forgotten to um, apologize to her for. <laughs> and and I, I just felt so shitty about myself. I was like, and because I was really trying to make this moment like about her, I was like, thank you so much. You're so right. And I bet there are even more that we're not thinking of because like, I'm so sorry that I was just so like, I cared more about pills than people. 
And then next thing you know, you're hearing from a fact checker. Well, yeah. And then she's emailing me being like, I'm writing about our friendship for the cut. You're going to be hearing from a fact checker. And I thought it would be bad. But I never in a million years thought that she was going to wear a like a Caroline Calloway, like human skin suit in the article. <laughs> and like, be like, it, I'm her. Like everything she ever wrote was me. Like I, when I first saw the headline of the article, I honest to God thought that it was a typo. I was like, they left off the half of the sentence. I was Caroline Calloway's what? The writer in me has to hand it to her because it actually was really clever how she presented it. Like similarly with the Adderall addiction in the way that she never, she never said I wasn't an addict. She just never said I was. And with the writing, my captions, there was this six week period in 2013 where I had 40,000 fake followers that I'd bought. It was a period of six weeks over three months. So you could call it three months, but we were only together for six weeks. And when we were together, we wrote these captions that were just like one line jokes. Like what were some of them? We took a trip to Sicily together that summer. So we were writing them for some of the photos of that Sicily trip. Mm -hmm. But the point is that they were not the long form narrative captions that I would later become known for. They were normal, like, two, three sentence Instagram captions. And I had paid for like our tickets to Sicily's. And by I say I paid, I mean, I put them on my father's credit card and she helped me with Instagram captions in return for the travel costs. Yeah. And so she did a, a really masterful job. Like just, I mean, credit where credits do. It's quite brilliant how she focused in on those six weeks that we wrote those captions together that one summer and then like zooms over the next three years where like I go off to Cambridge, get like 200, 300,000 real followers, write all the Cambridge captions about my life in England without her. She and I sort of fall out of touch. And then in the depths of my Adderall addiction, I hire again, this time properly where like we have a contract and I have her help me write 50% of this document that only publishers see. It's basically mm-hmm. like a pitch deck for what the yeah. book will be. And um, by sort of slowing down time over that first summer and then slowing down time over that fall when we made that document for publishers, she did a masterful job without ever saying anything libelous or something that, you know, the cut would be liable that's why the title wasn't I was Caroline Calloway's ghostwriter, because that is. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's untrue. And I think I was Caroline Calloway is metaphorical enough that there's not really a, a solid legal. What happened after it came out? Like, how did you feel and what did you do? I felt like shit. I felt like complete shit. I um, I think it's really hard to hold on to your sense of self as anything as a Mm -hmm. good person as a good writer or just like good at what you're passionate about as a good artist when lots of other people think you're not those things caroline's endgame was always to become a writer a memoirist to use her own young wild life as fodder for a literary career natalie's dream was the same except as she says in her article for the cut Her writing was limited by a lack of interesting life experiences. That Caroline was someone to write about, and that was what I wanted most of all. While Caroline couldn't get it together to submit a book to her publisher, 
It seems that Natalie didn't have much to write about, except her brilliant friend. Natalie's suggestion that Caroline is an interesting person, but not a real writer, that's what was so painful to Caroline. Because Caroline does see herself as a real writer. To her, that's what this was all about, all along, even if it did take a dozen or so more years for her to finally write a book. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town. To The Swan, where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition show between women who were hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. It all led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. All the meals are chef-crafted, dietitian approved they're always fresh, never frozen, and unbelievably, they're ready to go in just two minutes. You've got more than 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. That's not including any of the 60-plus add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. That's right, no dishes. And they're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, like if you decide to go on vacation or something. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com infamous50 and use code infamous50 to get 50% off. That's code infamous50 at factormeals.com infamous50 to get 50% off. This is Infamous from Campside Media. Two days after Natalie Beach's article came out in the cut, Caroline's father was found dead in his home, the home Caroline had grown up in. He died by suicide. And everything that Caroline had been feeling about Natalie and her article and what everyone who read it now thought of her, all of that was eclipsed by the enormity of her father's death. Meanwhile, this article was a sensation. Everyone was talking about it. It was launching Caroline to a level of notoriety she'd never experienced. So you really, there's no part of you that looking back feels like, well, this made me famous. You feel like this was a net negative for you. You know, it's it's so funny. And people say that to me all the time. Mm-hmm. And I have so much patience for them because I think I have a very 
strange set of talents. And one of them is creating fame out of thin fucking air. I did it for the first time when I was an undergrad at Cambridge, where I got all this press about my Instagram. And I mean, sometimes I feel like an internet witch just sort of like summoning the forces of the internet between my (laughs) hands. I think for people who just don't think of that as something that a person can do they look at what happened with Natalie's thing and instead of seeing how gracefully I navigated those very choppy waters and came out the other side they see they see a silver lining to a bad situation they think like oh well if she hadn't done that you wouldn't have been famous at all and it's like no I made myself famous once and then I did it again and I'll do Mm -hmm. it again and I would have been so much better off had that I had my best friend not tried to take credit for my work, you know, two days right. before my father's rotting body was found. I would prefer to like mourn his suicide and fucking peace and not have to like go through so much public shaming and so much pain and be going through so much personal grief while I'm trying to deal with this professional crisis from hell. Like, no, I'm no, it was mm-hmm. I I would have preferred for it to never happen. And there's still people out there to this day who think that I am incapable of writing. Maybe they want to believe that all influencers are vapid airheads with nary but fluff and tinsel in their minds. Like some people still think that, that I can't write. And that is not, that's not a public perception of me that serves me in any way whatsoever. Cause my greatest passion in this world is writing. And the thing I want to be most is a writer. I mean, you shouldn't have picked this because it's a terrible job to have in 2024. <laughs> you know that, right? Like being oh, a writer is the worst because why? it's 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 uh, the magazines are basically out of business. The like writing part of podcasting is extremely poorly paid, so that's almost going away. Book publishing is in a uh, tailspin. Well, I have an answer for all of those yes. problems. Don't be a podcast writer unless you're writing for your own brand, your own podcast. Don't be writing for magazines unless it's your magazine. So this is what Caroline did after the ghostwriting scandal. She sort of freaked out for a while. Obviously, she's talking a lot about taking drugs, and that seems to have been a problem for her through parts of her life. And then she just tried to flip the whole thing into a positive. She wouldn't just be a self-absorbed party girl influencer who people thought only knew how to take over-filtered selfies with clever captions, a person who had hired her friend to help her write her own memoir. She would be a real writer and the world would recognize her as such. I think it's never been a better time to want to be a public figure with an online presence who writes about themselves and navigating that online presence. Mm -hmm. Business is booming for that kind of writer. That is that is true. Although you also do have to have the visual component as well, right? Like totally. I mean, you could. I mean, there's some people who make it with Substacks, but they tend to be like political polemicists. No, that's why I said with an online presence. Yeah. I think you're very smart to to sort of zero in on it being visual because in my head I'm thinking Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Like I definitely was not thinking Substack. You know, mm-hmm. like when I say online presence, it really sh- I really guess I do mean online presence with some visual component to it. 
Right, right. Your fleshly, like, presence. Yeah. So when all of this is happening to you and you've gone through this public shaming, you're going through this incredible mm-hmm. uh, total pain over your father, where are your friends? Where? What are they saying? Were there people who really stood by you? Did you feel like New York sort of turned from you or everybody still wanted to hang out with you? There was no difference. You know, it was so lovely. The day my father died, so many friends just, I mean, they all knew where my apartment was because they'd been there. And by the end of the day, my apartment, I, I, I felt like it was had been the scene of some horrible car crash, which I guess metaphorically it was. But they had come throughout the day and brought flowers. And that was really sweet. But then in the weeks to come, I really felt like the people who were less my friends and more my colleagues, like, you know, we went out to dinner and they wanted to check on me, but like I would tag them in my story and they wouldn't tag me in the immediate aftermath. Like I definitely felt like um, my closest friends were so there for me. And although I will say that there were a lot of jokes about like in my friend group, the whole concept of me being this like Anna Delvey, Elizabeth Holmes level mastermind. I will say some of my friends and I'm not going to name names, but um, Ajay, you know who you are, um, <laughs> could not stop laughing. But, um, you know, in a funny way, I actually think being accused of being a scammer made me more of a scammer. Because, like, after I was accused of being a scammer, I didn't pay my rent in New York for a year. I was like, fuck (laughs) this. What are they going to do? Let me just break in here for a second. By this point, it was the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. And maybe you'll remember that a lot of people had stopped paying their rent because they'd lost their income and literally couldn't pay. But this may not have been that. It seems like Caroline just decided not to. Her landlord brought a lawsuit against her for $40,000 in unpaid rent. Caroline has said she has reached an agreement with him and paid back the rent. So where's the OnlyFans in all of this? So that was the summer of the pandemic. So summer of 2020. I got so much publicity out of that. And I got so much money out of it. But more than anything... I needed the money because I very much owed an American publisher $100,000 because I had, like like a fucking idiot, sold a book that I had no intention of ever writing. So I owed them $100,000 if I either had to deliver that book and and write it or or had to give them the money back. It's very fair. I'm not complaining at all. I think those are very... Yeah, that is what happens with a book advance. (laughs) Very reasonable terms. The only regret I have about frustration I have at the whole situation is regret and frustration towards myself for even signing that book deal in the first place. I was dumb as rocks and also high as balls on amphetamines. But um, (laughs) but anyways, so I had to, I owed them $100,000 and I needed to get that debt cleared as soon as possible. So I joined OnlyFans during the summer of the pandemic when everyone was, at home and just like blackout horny. And I um, dressed up as strong female heroines from literature, like sort of like, you know, Elizabeth Bennett, but she's a slut, you know, yeah. Juliet Capulet, but she's a slut, that sort of thing. <laughs> and so, and people liked it. 
People like yeah. it. Or did they like yeah. it only but like uh, on the level that like a good working porn star gets money? Or was this like a real cult thing that was only a little slice I, of I, money? No, no, no. I was making like 25 grand a month. Like what? it was it was madness. And you know what's now only fans like the top I'm sure the top point zero three percent of OnlyFans girls make millions a month. I'm sure they make so much more. But I joined the site like right before it came into like the zeitgeist. Like it was new enough that every time someone joined, there would be articles about them joining. So yes, clearly, Caroline, who was taking photos topless for OnlyFans, had no shame. And she could have continued down this road. Except she heard a bit of news that put her into overdrive. Natalie Beach was about to release her own book, an anthology of essays. And according to Caroline, and I quote, Over my goddamned body, was Natalie going to publish a book before I did? So Caroline actually got down to business. She announced her own book. She started taking pre-sales on her website, but then nobody actually got the book because it seems like she hadn't written it yet. And in the meantime, Caroline bumped the price of the book to $65. But finally, she got it done. It's a short book with a bright turquoise cover made up of some vignettes and some of her previous writing. Regardless, it is a book and she did it. She named it, of course, Scammer. Hey, it's Payne, and I'm here to tell you that we're back with a brand new season of Up and Vanished, called Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun. In this newest season of Up and Vanished, I'm investigating an unsolved missing persons case in Nome, Alaska, on the edge of the Arctic Circle. Florence Okpialik, an Alaska native, was last seen on August 31st, 2020. And I've spent the last year in Alaska trying to find out what happened to her, putting myself in the most dangerous positions I've ever been in. You don't want to miss this brand new season of Up and Vanished. It is by far the most intense investigation I've ever been a part of. From Tenderfoot TV, Up and Vanished in the Midnight Sun is available right now. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Infamous from Campside Media. Caroline Calloway might just be the perfect summation of what 2010's internet culture has brought. A bunch of self-aggrandizing personalities, just an infinite scroll of symbols and signifiers tied up in an optimized for social bow. But whether you think it is ingenious or disgusting, Caroline has relentlessly taken the worst accusations against her and monetized them to the nth degree. Yes, so what happens next after she self-publishes her book Scammer is she's living in her grandmother's apartment down in Sarasota, Florida. 
I mean, this is a real exile from New York. But she actually gets good reviews on Scammer, including from The New Yorker, which writes that Caroline might not understand how to be a good friend or how to set a realistic deadline, but she does understand the internet, which she has managed to bend to her will for a decade. They also recommend the book for its fascinating and callous pettiness about Natalie Beach. Yes, these are actual words in The New Yorker. And soon, Natalie's own book is published as well. But Natalie's book seems like it doesn't get many good reviews. It's slow and unsure of itself, some say. So now that Caroline has finally had her book come out, she starts to think about writing a trilogy of books, which is what she's working on now. And of course, she also looks to see what else she can sell her fans. She starts selling incredibly tongue-in-cheek products on her website. Then you have all these products that you're selling. So you have snake oil, skin products, grift cards, tarot readings by mail. They're actually called tarot card readings. Tarot, like Caroline. No, oh, C-A-R-O. Tarot, tarot card, reading. card readings. Yeah. And you just like let your mind go free when, when you're talking to somebody. How many of these do you do? They're also only $15, which seems relatively cheap for getting like yeah. a full no, it's, tarot it's card not, Yeah. Listen, I made a document in Microsoft Word where in my Caroline irreverent, wacky, whimsical voice, I learned about all 68 cards in a tarot deck and I wrote out descriptions of what they mean and then I have this tradition this I, I say tradition this is only the second year we're doing it but where every winter starting the day after Christmas throughout the month of January I sell you get one surprise sticker you get a little thank you note from me and my cat that says thank you for being a goddamn patron of the arts and then you get a tarot card with uh, the definition glued on the back and and that's it but people love them people go nuts for these okay so you're not getting on the phone and like doing a full no, no, okay okay no. okay okay so this is more like your etsy shop it's like a bunch of different things and you're, yeah. you're sending them out yeah it's just it's your classic e-com business and the books are above and beyond the bestseller, which is great because, as I said, I do not my my greatest passion in this world is not earrings or even tarot card readings. Although I I enjoy being crafty and I I like making all these little stuff, but they really are just to just keep support the books. But why yeah, do you to have to? Okay, so why why do you have to write a full trilogy? Isn't writing one book just such a pain to begin with? I wrote a book also, and it was really very painful. I mean, I'm very glad I did it. But you have to admit, it's like the one of the hardest things you can do in life. Yeah. But you feel yeah. like you have to write a full trilogy. Bro, I I feel I feel like I need to write over the next couple of years. I want I have ten different ideas for books that I want to bring into the world. I mean, they're not long. They're not big books. They're two hundred pages or under. They're they're what okay. I call day books, which are books that are intended to be read cover to cover in a single day, oh, sort I of like evoking that. that childlike, yeah, pleasure and like 
finishing, sitting down and finishing a book. Yeah, so they're all day books. But like, for example, the Cambridge Captions, I need to release. That's one book in the Instagram trilogy. Those are written. Those are already written. <laughs> you did those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, the way the book is laid out is it goes... So if you imagine the two pages of the book, it goes the original photo with all of its cringe filters, the original mm-hmm. caption that I wrote. And then you turn the page and it's a zoomed out like bird's eye view thumbnail shot of my iPhoto library. So you can see how many photos went into getting that one photo. And then it's a caption length piece of writing about what was going on when we shot that photo, staged that event, what happened at school when I posted it. I don't know cutting up lines of Adderall on my desk while I was like writing the thing to go up on Instagram. Like it's a caption about the caption. And I wanted to make that book because I think 2014, 2016, like Instagram nostalgia is really going to be big this year, first of all. But more than anything, I just own that fucking work. No one else made it but me. And it's really feels like unfinished business for me that, you know, anyone out there still believes that I don't own the full copyright to those captions because I made them alone. I'm going to put them in a book. And then the other part of the Instagram trilogy, I just want to finish this off and just have it out of the way so that it'll exist forevermore as I go on to make other books. I just want to have like a standalone essay that like responds to Natalie's piece based on a, an essay I released during the pandemic. Actually, I raised like 50 grand for doctors who needed face masks. Remember when like doctors didn't have PPE at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. apocalypse? Yeah, I just slapped this essay, this really long essay behind a paywall. So that's been edited and expanded. And I just, I don't think it'll be like a huge hit in the same way. I think the Cambridge captions will go over really well in the way I scammer did. But I think it's important in sort of a zoomed out 3D chess sort of way to forever have a piece that I can refer people to if they have questions about that time in my life so that I don't always have to talk about it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you should definitely do that. I mean, so, uh, yeah, there's no yeah. question. There's no question. So like, yeah, when you so look I, at, I'm excited like, to put them out. When you look at like Elizabeth Holmes and Anna Delvey and people like that, do you, going through this experience, do you have like words of wisdom about them? Like in the end, are you like, I really look at them in a totally different way? Or are you like, yeah, the mainstream way of looking at them is probably the right way? You mean having gone what I've gone through, do I have some special insight into these women who... Because you're basically setting... You're in federal prison? No, like I have nothing... Yeah, because you're setting up this idea of the female scammer, right? Like that you're sort of sending it up. Yes, but... What I do to, um, you know, I'm not like the products on my site. Like, I know that like grift cards instead of gift cards is like a funny little pen. It's cute to do caro card readings because, you know, like fortune tellers are known for being very scammy. And I sell an oil called snake oil. Like, I love poking fun at it. But like the real me is not these pithy little branding punchlines like I in my heart of hearts I feel I I mean they're human beings and I believe in rehabilitative justice and you know I feel so much for Elizabeth Holmes kids who have to have this mother in prison but like do I think I have anything in common with these women who stole millions and spent 
months, years in federal prison? Like, no, even my rent, I paid back. I paid back the publishers, obviously. That was contractual. But like, you know, <laughs> I've never I've never done a crime. So, no, I don't have any special insight into people who have. So what in the end does success look for you? What do you want? What does success look like? I would love to make more books. I would just like to be, you know, it's, it's, I often say, you know, I don't want to be the next anything. I want to be the first Caroline Calloway. Mm. The thing that I want to be is a mix of performance art and literature and internet and social media and visual elements and branding and books that has never been before. That's it for Caroline. Maybe her story sort of annoys you and you wouldn't be alone in that. Because talking to her makes you feel like she has all the answers and you have none. And somehow we're all playing into her hands. Even talking about her builds up her mythology, gives her more stuff to make money from. We're all just ghostwriting her life. Or is it her performance of life? One comment at a time. If you like this episode, you might also like our story about another internet phenomenon, male pickup artists. Scroll back in your feed and look for part one of The Pickup Artist Uncovered. <laughs>